0: Welcome to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. I'm your host, Paula Adams. Today, we are going to discuss a current event that has a long history. And that current event is rising anti-Semitism. And it is related to the first topic that we're going to talk about, which is Zionism. And we're going to show how critical race theory, or also known as wokeism, is contributing to anti-Semitism. So just when you thought racism was a bad thing, turns out that it's okay to be racist against Jews. Turns out that a lot of people are willing to return to the past and have never actually supported Jews in the first place. So that may be big a big surprise to some of you listening because us boomer, uh, traditional Baptist, Southern Baptist and Southern Christians have been raised in a theological belief that supports Israel. And so this is sometimes called Christian Zionism. Well, if you I'm going to explain that this is not all, this is not a, a universal belief and it's also a a uh, declining it's declining in its popularity. So not everyone went along with it from the beginning, but many Christians who believe that the Bible teaches that Israel is the chosen people and that God has appointed them a homeland and He and through this homeland and in this homeland is where Jesus is going to eventually return in the future when he comes back. Those of us who who were taught that in church and who believe that, we have supported Israel having their own homeland. So I'm going to read you what it says on the jewishvirtuallibrary.org because I want to give you the Jewish perspective on Christian Zionism. And then I'm going to give you some other, some other perspectives. So this article is by David Krush, and it was written a few years ago. It says that Christian Zionism can be defined as Christian support for the return of the Jewish people to Israel. It is a belief that some Christians have that the return of Jews to Israel is in line with the biblical prophecy and that it is necessary for Jesus to return to earth as its king. These Christians are partly motivated by the writings of the Bible and the words of the prophet. Um, And he he says that according to David Bragg, they also support Israel because they... They believe that they owe the Jews a debt of gratitude for providing Christ to the world. Which, I can't say that I've ever heard that before. Okay, then this Jewish author goes on to say, Christian Zionists interpret both the Torah and the New Testament as prophetic texts that describe future events of how the world will one day end with the return of Jesus from heaven to rule on earth. Israel and its people are central to their vision. They interpret passages from the books of Ezekiel, Daniel, and Isaiah as foreshadowing the coming Christian era. The New Testament book of Revelation is read by many Christians as a prophetic text of how the world will be in the end times. Christian support for Israel is not a recent development. So here we have a little bit of history. Its political roots reach back as far as the 1880s when a man named William Heckler formed a committee of Christian Zionists to help move Russian Jewish refugees to Palestine after a series of pogroms. In 1884, Heckler wrote a pamphlet called The Restoration of Jews to Palestine According to the Prophets. A few years later, he befriended Theodore Herzl after reading Herzl's book, The Jewish State, and joined Herzl to drum up support for Zionism. Heckler even arranged a meeting between Herzl and Kaiser Wilhelm II to discuss Herzl's proposal to establish a Jewish state in Palestine. The two men remained close friends up until Herzl's death in 1904. Okay. This article leaves out quite a bit of information about what happened in after World War II and then in 67. I'm just gonna I'll get back to that. An important milestone in the history of Christian Zionism occurred in 1979, almost a century after William Heckler appro- approached Herzl. Uh, and this event was the founding of the Moral Majority by Reverend Jerry Falwell. So this was in 1979. The Moral Majority was an organization made up of conservative Christian political action committees or PACs that succeeded in mobilizing like-minded individuals to vote for conservative candidates. It became a powerful voting bloc during the 1980s and helped Ronald Reagan win. One of the Moral Majority's principles was support for Israel and Jewish people everywhere. In 1980, Falwell said of Israel on TV, I firmly believe God has blessed America because America has blessed the Jew. If this nation wants her fields to remain white with grain, her scientific achievements to remain notable, and her freedom to remain intact, America must continue to stand with Israel. The moral majority was disbanded in 1989, but conservative Christians have remained vocal supporters of Israel, though they no longer had a strong formal structure for political action. Christian Zionists have donated large sums of money to support Israel, including to charities that pay the cost of bringing Jews from the former Soviet Union and Ethiopia to Israel. For example, Pastor John Hagee of Texas has raised more than $4.7 million at the time of this writing for the United Jewish Communities, and Pat Robertson's CBN, has donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to help poor Jews move to Israel. When Israel's tourism industry was at a low point between 2000 and 2003 due to the Palestinian war and terrorism, Christian tourists visited Israel in numbers that were sometimes greater than that of the Jewish community. Pat Robertson and Benny Hinn visited Israel during this period and used their broadcast to tell their millions of visitors, uh, their viewers, it was safe to visit Israel. Another pro-Israel group, the Christians Israel Public Action Campaign, sponsored four missions to Israel. Christians also helped the Israeli tourism industry and economy from home by attending Shop Israel Days when Israeli merchants would come to America and sell their products. Despite their support for Israel, many Jews, however, are uncomfortable with Christian Zionists. This comfort is fed by Christian anti-Semitism, Christian replacement theology, evangelical proselytizing, and disagreements over domestic and political issues. Okay, now it goes on to explain dispensational Christianity, which... Many of us who don't dive deep into theology may not realize that there's more than one kind of Christianity, but in the South, dispensational Christianity is was the most common, at least until recently, I would say that has changed, it's still pretty popular. Um, okay, so what is it? It is an interpretive framework for understanding the Bible that teaches that Christianity did not replace... Christianity, or as we would say it, the church, does not replace Judaism. And instead, it restored lost elements of Judaism. This view is that the Old Testament foreshadows what will occur in the New Testament. And at the end... Jesus returns to reign on earth after an epic battle between good and evil. Israel plays a central role in the dispensationalist view of the end of the world, or the end times. The establishment of Israel in 1948 was seen as a milestone to many dispensationalist Christians that was leading towards the path of Jesus' return. In their minds, now that the Jews again had regained their homeland Jews were able to return to Israel. It was opening up the possibility that Jesus would return. So although these Christians do hope for a messianic age, the majority of them do not wish for the death of thousands of Jews during Armageddon. Dispensationalist Christians believe that the Jewish people are the ones who were promised Israel in the Bible. And their view, Christianity did not come in to replace Judaism, but to restore it. This view has surpassed the replacement theology that some people believe in as the dominant form of Christian thought in America today. Jews who are suspicious of Christian Zionist motives are usually unaware that many Christian supporters of Israel have abandoned replacement theology. So what is replacement theology? Well, this is, that is the belief that the Jews have lost their, their covenant with God and that the church is going to be receiving all the promises of God that were formerly promised to Israel. So in other words, that Christians replaced Jews. That's what Christian replacement theology is. I, I never learned that growing up, so I just heard about it, you know in the past few years. So but because of this replacement theology, many Jews are wary of Christians. and a lot of them even think that Christians hate them. But some of them are also wary that evangelical Christians want to convert them, to Christianity or only care about them because they're trying to speed up the second coming of Christ. So in his book, David Bragg refutes this claim and says that, yes, Christians do want to share the good news of Christ with, with Jews, but they also want to show, share their faith with Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, and Christians and neighbors who have yet to be born again. So is evangelical support for Israel a tool just to convert Jews? The answer is not. The answer is no. If anything, the opposite is true. Christian Zionists say Jews have no reason to distrust their motives. They do not believe they can speed up the coming of Christ. Only Jesus knows, or only the Father knows, when Jesus will return. So that's your that's a background from a Jewish person. Um, let's see. Christian Zionists are also more conservative on Israel than many Jews. They favor Israel maintaining all of its settlements in the West Bank and were opposed to the Israeli disengagement from the Gaza Strip. Some prominent Christian Zionists have been highly critical of of Israeli government policy of giving over parts of Israel to the Palestinian people. So we can see that the, the Jews are aware of Christian Zionism, but they may not quite understand it or trust it. They're a little distrustful. So then I found another article called Praying for the Peace of Jerusalem, an Introduction to American Christian Zionism. And this was a so-called scholarly theological article. I would say that I don't really believe that this woman is a Christian. She is definitely anti-dispensationalist. So let's read what she has to say. American Christian Zionists can often be found praying for the peace of Jerusalem, yet they are some of the most vocal opponents of Middle East peace. that That's her opinion. She obviously doesn't believe that there can be peace without, um, like, that both sides can't win. Like, there's no way to have peace uh, in the Middle East and peace in Jerusalem. These Christian Zionists, she says, teach their children about Holocaust awareness and appreciation for Judaism, yet they believe that ultimately Israel will be ruled over by Jesus, Jesus Christ. And she sees this as a problem. If you want to understand this ambivalence of American Christian Zionism, what she calls ambivalence, it's important to know a bit about its theological history. So she goes on and she says, We are primarily talking about the influence of a particular kind of Christian eschatology called dispensational premillennialism. Eschatology names the doctrines which Christians hold concerning what will happen at the end of human history. What will be the nature of Jesus' second coming and what this means for Christians today? And she goes on to explain pre-mill, post-mill, and a-mill, which are different times when Jesus would return, related to the thousand-year reign on earth. Um. John Nelson Darby's particular form of premillennialism included the innovative belief that the Bible contained two distinct messages, one for Israel and one for the church. These two messages are applicable in separate dispensations because Israel and the church play two separate roles in God's plan for human history. Okay, so that's, that's what dispensationalism is. Two separate messages. For Darby, the church is in no way the new Israel, and none of God's promises to Israel have been transferred to the church. God's promises to Israel are still to be fulfilled. Though Darby's dispensationalism was influential for only a short time in British pre-mill circles, his eschatology took hold across the Atlantic and became the predominant form of premillennialism in America. So this author is an English author. This belief spread across America through Bible conferences, Bible institutes, and the publication of the Schofield Reference Bible, which I have, by the rise of the fundamentalist movement in the 20th century, dispensational premillennialism was the eschatological plank in the fundamentalist platform. That's a whole lot of big words in that sentence. <laughs> but what she's saying is fundamentalist Christians put a lot of weight on this particular belief in dispensationalism, the fact that the church is a separate um, like part of God's plan and that um, the pre-meal part says that the church will be taken out before the tribulation. So uh, this view teaches that the world is locked in an inexorable downward spiral. As the end times approach, there will be more and more immorality, apostasy, poverty, natural disaster, and war and that we are coming to an end soon. Okay, so for most American dispensationalists before the 1970s, all of this was purely a matter of doctrinal belief and not of political activism. However, when Israel became a state in 1948 and expanded dramatically in 1967, apolitical dispensationalism faded and a new alliance of political activism was formed between Christians and politics. And then she goes on to talk about how Lindsay's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, and Jerry Falwell in The New Christian Right, and the Left Behind franchise, and other things like that, which evidently she thinks is just a trend. And then she talks about John Hagee's... um, Christians United for Israel organization. And it says that they have recently rebranded their work in terms of combating anti-Semitism. Well, that, that takes us to our next topic of anti-Semitism. Um, so let's move on to an article that I found that really blew my mind. Okay, so what is critical race theory? Critical race theory teaches that certain, that we're all divided up into groups. It's, it's, it's extremely race, racist and everything. So it says that you, we're not all humans. We're not all part of one race. And if you say that, that's racist. What we are is we are, we are identified by our various traits. So it's identity politics. And the critical race theory is just another word for identity politics. So in this case, if you are a white male, then you're identified by that as an oppressor. So this critical race theory... Um, is all about victims and perpetrators. so you you may not know that the left the left has been found to be very racist towards Jews. and why is that? Because they consider Jews white and they consider them perpetrators of oppression, and I think we can see why which according to many articles I just read, the reason is because a lot of Jews are successful and wealthy and powerful. But the, th- the thing is, not all of them are. There's plenty of poor Jews. There's plenty of uneducated Jews. There's plenty of oppressed Jews, not to mention the whole Holocaust thing. So the first article I read was an excerpt from another article. So I'm going to take you to that article, and this article was on the adl.org, which adl is the anti-defamation league. So I'm going to read you some of this. And you may be shocked to know, but the the case the the location of the most Anti-Semitic uh, propaganda and um, promotion of hatred towards Jews is American colleges. So, so your kids are probably if you have children in college, ask them: Have you have you been exposed to any anti-Semitic? Groups, any groups trying to claim that are like anti-Zion, anti-Zionism, which is anti-Jew. Um, you might be surprised to learn what they've been hearing. So here, here's what the article says: In recent years, American public life has been increasingly marked by the rise of extremism and the erosion of democratic norms. Okay, this article was written April 2022. A torrent of white supremacist activity and the growing prevalence of conspiracy theories have spurred some individuals and groups to commit acts of violence. American society has been further compromised by rampant misinformation, resulting in a deeply divided and polarized electorate. Concomitantly... Anti-Semitism has been at a historic high and animates a large swath of extremist rhetoric and action. Hateful and extremist beliefs, along with fringe ideas, have penetrated into mainstream spaces, sabotaging civil discourse. More than any time in recent memory, people view political disagreements not as good faith disputes but as zero-sum clashes with dangerous, malicious, and, or illegitimate adversaries, such a dynamic can create systemic dysfunction and ultimately subvert democratic institutions and governance. Amid the, the, amidst these distressing developments, a steady stream of anti-Semitism among the left persists often related to Israel. Of course, some criticism of Israel is part of a healthy political ecosystem. However, a segment of the left sometimes espouses ideas that go beyond legitimate critique and into anti-Semitic tropes. Others engage in rhetoric that is not anti-Semitic, but which can have the effect of making many Jews feel ostracized or excluded. Some scholars suggest that contemporary expressions of anti-Semitism or anti-Zionism on the left and right have their roots in anti-Semitic Soviet propaganda from the mid-20th century. For example, the Soviet Union pushed action under the banner of Zionism is Racism, a popular slogan among parts of the far left today. So I just want to state that I... I had a feeling that critical race theory was the cause of rising anti-Semitism, but I didn't know. And then when I researched it, I just found all these articles, and I was like, "This is a real issue that you know you just don't hear about." However, when I'm on MeWe. I see a lot of anti-Semitic comments. And that I found that very disturbing. And sometimes when I'm on um, conservative trash websites, like websites that are just like, um, they're very conservative and they have a lot of, they just constantly pump out dramatic articles that are half true. If you read the comments in those, you will sometimes find white supremacist and anti-Semitic comments. So I knew that there was people out there that were, you know, Nazi friendly, Hitler friendly, hating Jews, espousing a lot of theories, oh, the Jews are all, all the banks are controlled by Jews, and they have a plan to take over the world. I mean, there's, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about Jews, right? We've probably all heard some of them, and maybe even like secretly wondered if there was some truth in them. And you know, there's always some truth, but that doesn't mean that all Jewish people are doing these things. It's not a racial, it's not a racial definition if some of the Jews that are in if if some of the elites in the world are Jews, doesn't mean that all Jews are bad. Just like there there's bad people in every race. There are people doing bad things that are that come from every country, every nationality. There are bad so called Christians, you know. So it's just racism, it's it it's it it's uh But, why why is it happening again now? It's because it's part of populism. It happens just like it did during the Hitler years when there is a struggling economy. There's always going to be a scapegoat. And the Jews are historically become the scapegoat for bad economic times. So... Trump, Trump became you know, was a populist president, and during even though he was pro Israel, a lot of the people that supported him were influenced by anti Semitist, anti Semitic ideas. So, um, and but then, at the same time, we had the woke movement rising. And during this time, we had all these um, social justice warriors in coming from colleges where they were being taught critical race theory, and they were being taught that Palestine was the victim, was a victim. So even though, so and many of these college kids don't even know anything about history, they don't. They don't think for themselves. So they just believe what their professors teach them. And so they're online spouting this anti-Semitic stuff. And they're actually protesting on college campuses. And this stuff is being taught in college classrooms. So we'll read more about that in a minute. Um, But I just wanted to say that this was sort of a natural... This rise in anti-Semitism is sort of a natural result of what's going on around the world. And I mean, I blame all that. I blame on so I blame the political and economic turmoil, not on Jews, but on climate activism. As the world is being forced to go in, on this uh, zero carbon path, Um, more and more people are going to be struggling economically and we're going to need a scapegoat. And guess who is already being lined up and corralled into scapegoat camps? Yes, Israel and the Jews. Even though it's a long, you know, there's so much more to it than what they're going to teach these kids in college campuses. So, I wanted to read something from Wikipedia that I thought was good. Um, this is from the New Anti-Semitism article. And, yeah, you can read just pretty much anything on Wikipedia, and some people don't like it, but the, the articles I read seem to be pretty um, well-referenced. Uh, Okay, so this guy, Brian Klug, is a senior research fellow in philosophy at Oxford. He gave testimony to a British inquiry in 2006. So a lot has changed since 2006. And he argued against the idea that there is a single phenomenon that could be called new anti-Semitism. He accepts that there is reason for the Jewish community to be concerned, but he argues that any increase in incidence is attributable to classical anti-Semitism. In other words, he's saying it's nothing new, it's just coming back. Proponents of the new anti-Semitism concept, he writes, see an organizing principle that allows them to formulate a new concept. But it is only in terms of this concept that many of the examples cited in evidence of it, count as examples in the first place. In other words, this is a circular argument. He argues that it is an unhelpful concept because it devalues the term anti-Semitism, leading to to widespread cynicism. People of goodwill who support Palestinians resent being falsely accused of anti-Semitism. He, which, like I said, I'm not. Well, let's go on. Klug defines classical anti-Semitism as an ingrained European fantasy about Jews as Jews, arguing that whether Jews are seen as a race, religion, or ethnicity, and whether anti-Semitism comes from the right or the left, the anti-Semitic image of the Jew is always as a people set apart, not merely by their customs, but by their character. So, in other words, it's prejudice. They are arrogant, secretive, cunning, always looking to turn a profit, loyal only to their own, and wherever they go, they form a state within a state, preying upon the societies in whose midst they dwell. Mysteriously powerful, their hidden hand controls the banks and the media. They will even drag governments into war if this suits their purposes. Such is the myth of the Jew transmitted from generation to generation. He argues that although it is true... uh, I'm just going to stop there. Uh, Norman Finkelstein argues that there has been no significant rise in anti-Semitism. What does the evidence show? However, that, that was his opinion in you know 2006 when um you know before before the housing crisis before Obama before Trump a lot has changed since this article was written so let's go back to the articles okay so if you type in if you go to Google and type in anti israel here are some of the titles of the articles that were written this week Uh, George Washington University professor accused of discrimination, anti-Semitism. That was from three days ago. A college class made me anti-Israel. The threat is real. This was from an article two days ago. The undeniable link between anti-Semitism and America's decline. That was written two days ago on the Jerusalem Post. I didn't read that, but it kind of... Goes together. Uh, this one, this one got a lot of media play. Uh, depending on what media you look at, and it says, "Long live the Intifada." University of Michigan student group calls for Israel's destruction. An anti-Israel student group at the University of Michigan, and they were Muslims. Uh, marched through campus praising violent attacks on the Jewish state. That was also. Um, reported on Fox News and it, was, and it actually made it to Twitter. That happened three days ago. Uh, the NUS failed to challenge anti-Semitism and this was from the BBC six days ago. Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg offers plea deal to suspect in brutal anti-Semitic attack. That was five days ago. Human rights leader was denied a Harvard post over alleged anti-Israel bias. Now a dean faces call to resign. Uh, That was six days ago. So I guess, uh, so yeah, so he was writing, he he wrote that there was anti-Semitism and now he's being asked to resign. Uh, The Detroit Free Press reported a month ago Dearborn man charged in anti-Semitic attack at synagogue in Michigan. So that was a month ago. 14 hours ago, no room for anti-Israel bias at Kennedy School. There is no shortage of anti-Israel voices at Harvard, says the article. And a week ago, Harvard rejects Ken Roth's anti-Israel obsession. So I think that's probably related to the other thing we saw. Um, let's see. The Free Beacon says, Jewish students reported a professor for anti-Semitism and their university retaliated against them. Uh, Let's see. 39% of Americans believe Jews are more loyal to Israel than the U.S. So as we can see... Oh, is Netflix trying to make up for streaming anti-Israel film? This was from a week ago. I'm going to click on this one. If it will... The streaming giant adds an unusually high number of Israeli-made films, perhaps in an effort to lure back customers, after hundreds canceled subscriptions over a Jordanian film that portrays Israeli soldiers as murderers. So that's just a brief sampling. We can see that this is a hot topic right now. A very hot topic so even though there may be a lot of so-called Christian Zionists in in America and especially Texas, I would say that there is a growing backlash against Zionism that needs to be um, monitored. And if your kid is in college, you need to you need to make sure that they are hearing. The biblical side of this story and and have a discussion with them about, you know, is there some reason that there can't be peace in the Middle East without kicking out the Jews from Israel? I mean, you know, as a Christian myself, I believe that the Bible teaches that there will not be peace and that this will be an ongoing, um, um, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't think of good words today. It's going to be an ongoing problem. There's going to always be a fight between Muslims and Jews and Christians are going to have to choose a side. So, I think Christians should side with Israel when it comes to religious the religious the fact that we you know, we believe that Jews are the chosen people but doesn't mean that we should hate Muslims and it doesn't mean that we should want Muslims to be killed. But what we want really doesn't matter. We, we want God's will to be done in Israel and the world. And that's what we want as Christians. So Christians who support Israel, we believe that this is God's will. And, you know, that one article I was reading, she obviously did not believe that there was such a thing as God's will. Um, she was uh, definitely not a fundamentalist. <laughs> so anyway, this is getting long. I, I would love to discuss this topic more with anyone who wants to, t- to discuss it with me. You can leave me a message on Anchor's message system or send me a, an email to PK Adams at industryinet.com. And I hope that you will like and share and leave me a review for my little podcast of Blue Skies and Green Pastures. Because as we get closer to the day of Jesus' return, we need to be sharing the good news of Jesus' and we need to be educating people about what the what God's word says about sin and forgiveness and salvation and that's those are the kind of things I'm going to talk about on this podcast so god bless you for listening and have a blessed day